Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Thanks for dropping by. I'm so chuffed to have you here. Now, this is episode 95. It's Tony as a party. Here we go. My guest today is percussionist Tony Azapati. Tony grew up in Sydney, the youngest of 15 children, with his mother and father coming from Malta. Music was always in the family, with Tony's first band being the family band called Africa, with his brother Mars, the drummer of the band, being particularly influential to Tony's early development as a musician and as a percussionist. These were the early to mid-70s, and Tony's been a professional musician ever since. Having played with live or recorded with a lot of the best, including Doug Parkinson, Marsha Hines, Roger Frampton, Jenny Morris, Mark Hunter, Andrew O, Richard Clapton, Gina Jeffries, Jeff Duff, Tina Arena, Ian Moss, Barry Leaf, and many, many others. Tony was also the house band percussionist for Australian Idol. In an effort to pull back a bit from constant touring and gigging, Tony and his friend created Drumbeat, an interactive drums and percussion show that would tour Australian schools. In 2011, Tony got very ill with cancer. Yet during treatment, he still went out and he gigged. After beating the cancer, it was time for a change, so he packed up and he moved out of Sydney. He now spends his days on his farm in the Hunter region of New South Wales, and he still plays every day. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Tony as a party. I think we're rolling. Yo, old Tony has a party. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. Hey, Stevie. Hey, you going? Thanks for having me, buddy. Yes, yeah, sweet as. What's going on, man? Not much, mate. Just chilling on the farm. Yeah. So you're um, just for the listeners. You're living out on a farm, which is out. It's uh, mid north coast. Mid north coast. It's in yeah. It's in between uh, Gloucester and uh, a, a town called Nabiac. Oh, my mum and dad live in Stroud. Oh, okay. You're not far from here. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. I, for some reason, I thought you were south. I apologise for that. No, it's beautiful. It's similar countryside to Tasmania. It's really hilly. It's it's just gorgeous, man. Yeah. And how long have you been out there? This is uh, before years of September. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, what I've been talking about at the start of these things is um, obviously COVID because we're all going through that. Um, tell me how. You've been coping with it. What you've been up to um, has life changed too much for you, or um... it, it had? Look, as like obviously with most musos, the gigs have dried up. But I wasn't doing that many gigs at the time, anyway. Okay. So life for me literally didn't change that much at all because I've got like thirty acres here, and I'm always walking around my property doing stuff with the animals on my ride on. So I'm always out of the house anyway. Whereas. It would have been much tougher in the city, mm. you know. Only, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. Locked in your house all that time, so yeah. I didn't really notice that much difference at all, honestly. Mm. 
I've been very lucky. So, yeah, business as usual, chilling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, you know, lack of gigs, obviously, but I wasn't gigging that much as it is. Right. So how, how up to when COVID sort of kicked in, how many gigs a month were you doing, what, a year? Oh, mate, very, very, very few. The last okay. sort of 12 months. I was like, I was maybe one every couple of months. Oh, right. Okay. And that's by choice? Yeah. The, the odd session is up. Oh, it cool. actually was by choice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like, I'm in a position now I can um, say yes and no to, to gigs Fantastic. if I want to. Fantastic. Whereas, yeah. But don't get me wrong. I mean, I love gigging. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just even when I was in Sydney, mm. the gigs for for me as a percussionist mm-hmm. were starting to dry up anyway with the with the uh, twelve o'clock lockouts and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, right. bands were cutting back on on the sizes, so they were getting cutting back on on, on percussionists and okay. horn players and backing vocalists. So it wasn't as though I was flat out at the time anyway. I, I had this show with my partner and I called Drumbeat. Yep. which toured around uh, Australia for the last 30-odd years. Yep. And I could always do that. That was always on the cards for me. But I did it for a few years, but um, I, I was just away from home for too much. I just didn't didn't enjoy that um, six weeks out of every 10 on the road. So yeah, as right. far as money was concerned, I, I could always do that to pay the bills. So I was never really desperate. Right. But, um, yeah, again, the, the gigs weren't that busy in, when I was in Sydney before I moved here anyway. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Well, let's um, let's roll back right back to early days. How it all began. Let's talk up through your, through your childhood, all that sort of stuff. Um, so your uh, parents are from Malta. That's right, and they they originally from Malta. That um, I was one of fifteen kids. I was the youngest of fifteen, mm-hmm. only one born uh, at, here in Australia, and uh, my parents. Mum was a singer, dad played guitar in Malta back in the 30s. Right. And they actually recorded, uh, they didn't have any recording studios in Tunisia in the 30s, so in, in Malta, sorry. So they went to Tunisia, which is Libya now. It was called Tunisia then. And they recorded the recording studio. They actually had a couple of singles out in Malta. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, mum and dad got together and that was the end of mum's singing career. So, you know, right, 15 okay. kids later, poor mum. Right. But I always had music around me as far as dad would always be pulling out his, you know, old acoustic guitar and playing it and singing along to it and stuff. And then I, I came up to three girls. And so my next eldest brother was 10 years older than me already. And I had six of them. Like there, was, there was 10 of us, three girls and um, six boys and a couple still in Malta and stuff. Yep. So um, they started playing in bands really early on. They used to rehearse in our lounge room every Friday, uh, like from the age of five. Um, I remember them rehearsing in the band because my youngest, my next brother to me was already 15 and then it was 17, 18, 19. So they were already rehearsing and playing in bands. The Aztecs was one of them. Uh, right. Bullet was another one. Um, and so I had it around me the whole time. Then um, – uh, and it was always soul music. It was always um, rhythm and blues, soul, eventually funk, you know, uh, jazz funk. Mm. Uh, my whole life was that sort of music. Mm. So eventually my, my – and my sisters also were, were great singers. In fact, Mary's done uh, – my sister Mary's done heaps of um, uh, tours with Margaret Ehrlich, um, mm-hmm. um, backing vocalists on, on heaps of albums and things. She's a well-established um, uh, artist in Sydney as well. Mm-hmm. And my sister Rita was a great singer. Is a great. They're both still great singers. Yeah. Um, and they used to win a lot of the Steadfords at school and stuff. Right. As singers. And my so they were good singers as it was. 
and my brother Joe played guitar and my brother Mars was a, a, a drummer and my brother Simon used to play bass in bands. And Joe had this vision, my brother Joe had this vision of having like a really big band. He was into the big horn sections and, you know, like the Tower of Power or, or, or Brecker Brothers yep. type thing. Yep. Um, so eventually he got the girls in the band and they, they were playing sax and my brother Miles was on drums and Joe was playing trombone and guitar. And um, well, I was uh, I came back from my when I was 12, I got expelled in first form. <laughs> and, uh, and so I never went back to school. Oh, I hey, used to okay. Stop, school hold up. Hide. All right, hold up. Hold up. I need to ask. Yeah. Why were you expelled? Well, it's because I had long hair. I went to a Catholic school. This oh, is a true right. story. Okay. I thought and it was I, gonna, I had I, long hair. Right. I thought it was going to be something real no. debaucherous or something. <laughs> no, no, man. I just had uh, I had long hair, and they and it got to the came to a head, and they, they, it was at St. St. Thomas's Lewisham, right? And they told me um, get a cut by Monday. I'm going to get expelled. So, and I got mum to trim it, literally like that much. It was down past my shoulders, and I went back, and they called me to the headmasters, and he said, uh, you know, you're going to. I said, look, I cut it. He didn't tell me how much. And I still remember saying to him, look, I said, Jesus Christ had long hair, yeah. right? All the all the pictures of Jesus Christ had long hair. It's a Catholic school. And I wasn't being rude in any way. I was just oh, like, no. well, Jesus Christ had long hair. And the yeah, brother yeah. said, that's because that's because they had no cutting utensils back then. It's like, I'll oh, give me a break. But oh, I hated school, man. I hated it. So I got expelled. And so every morning I'd get dressed <laughs> for school and used to go to Maryville. My mates, uh, Arthur Jones, used to work in a foundry there. A factory where they they buy all copper and yep. uh, metal and then melt it down and, and make ingots out of it. Yep. And I used to go go there, dress up as like for school and go there and work there with them. And my job was it was a big magnet and it was a big a bunch of big forty four gallon drums full of metal shavings. And my job was it was a magnet and you have it on yep. and you uh, rub it around the metal. It will pick up the steel and leave the brass and pick it up and drop the metal into another 44-gallon drum. Right. And I did like 10 hours a day, and I much preferred to do that. And I was getting – my uh, mate Arthur was getting $16 a week, right. and I was doing the same work. He's giving me $4 a week. Right. But I'd much rather do that than go to school. That's how much I hated school. So you, you said you got dressed up to go to work. Did you not tell your mum and dad you got to no, I, Sorry, dressed up to go to school. I would get dressed up to go to school. Right, so, you know, yeah. There was so, poor mum had so many ki- kids. Yeah. You know, Dad was out there uh, working. The boys were working. She didn't have time to check up on on us and stuff. And so okay. I just dressed, dressed up like I was going to school, okay, and go to the factory and then come home and say I was at Arthur's place after school and whatever. So, so they didn't know they didn't know you got expelled. No, right, no. And then I then they took me to Malta, okay. And just just quickly, just to explain, my old man, yep. like was a pretty pretty heavy dude, right? And when we when we uh, when they came from Walter, I was born in Australia. Um, it was the first, like, new Australian family in Newtown. Newtown was a pretty rough and tumble place back then mm. in, in Sydney. Mm. It was like the first new Australian or Wog family. And um, I copped it a little bit, but no one knew as much as the boys copped it when they first got here. So mm. they very quickly um, learned to defend themselves, and they used to box at Johnny Lewis's gym. In fact, they're yeah, in the right. book. They're in Johnny Lewis's book. Right. That's cool. To, they, so they had to learn to defend themselves, literally, just, you know, because they would – and the thing was, as soon as you stood up for yourself back then, everyone would back off. Right. Right? But my old man, they used to do – they used to box at Johnny Lewis's gym 
and my old man, he was so heavy. If they ever lost a fight, if they came home without a trophy, he'd bash them. He'd give them a backhand because oh, they brought disrespect to the family. Right. So the whole of the Utah Police Boys Club knew about it, the district clubs knew. And the odd occasion, because my brother Joe actually uh, was a Golden Gloves champion, um, um, so my brother Joe, Simon, Mars and Charlie, they're all box, and they're all good boxers. Mm. Um but the, on the occasion where they lost the fight, the the, the, bo- the fighters that won it would lend them the trophy oh. to take home for that day and then take it back and say, oh, they have to give it back to the club. <laughs> so anyway, he was a pretty heavy dude. Some good dudes. Uh, uh, they took me to Malta. They took me to Malta yeah. like the age of 13. Then I, was, I couldn't handle it. Uh, and I came back at the age of 15, got a job in this uh, Newtown screen printing factory. And every Friday I'd go up to see the family band, Africa play at the Ambassador Nightclub in Newcastle. And it was just when, it was just before disco, but when funk was happening, like you know, Brothers Johnson, yep. all that sort of stuff. And uh, and and the at the family member playing uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, Breaker Brothers, Aretha Franklin, you know, back then. Mm. And I used to go and see them every weekend. I get to train up to Newcastle, I'd see them. Long story short, um, they, I, he got, they got me in the band and the deal was, yeah, you know, I'd play congas because mm. my sisters, they used to do Osobisa music too and my, my sisters used to play congas and sax. Mm-hmm. And so I got their congas and I set up behind my brother Mars and the deal was for six months I'd set up and he'd sort of uh, mouth out patterns to me what to play. Mm. No mics, I wasn't mic'd up. Yep. And I wasn't paid, I wasn't paid either but mm-hmm. and we were touring like all around Australia and we eventually I started getting uh, paid and the best thing to ever happen in my life musically was having my brother Mars on stage because, as I explained to you, like, uh, you know, that, that we all loved each other deeply but there's no disrespect, right? And that's, okay. that's the luckiest thing for me because being young and being the percussionist, right, you've got tambourines and cowbells and congas and bongos and, you, you know, you can get – and my brother Mars would just turn around and say, you're effing overplaying. Back off, <laughs> yeah. and you just knew. Yeah. You just knew you back off. Yeah. But through the years, it taught me yeah. to lock in with the drum with the drums. You know, having because yeah. if it wasn't someone like that, they just wouldn't hire you next time. Because like, oh, he overplays. Don't get him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas, because we're family, he got over. It, he used to literally just uh, stick it to me. You're overplaying. Back off. So that to me was the uh, the best thing to ever happen to me as as a professional percussionist. Um, definitely no question. Right. So I just let's just back, so, back it up a little bit. I want to want to try and work out how it became percussion. How it became uh, was it was it well, was it a case of all the other instruments in the band were taken up? We need a percussionist. Was, was it like that? Did it you, was. Yep. Yeah. It, it was kind. It was kind of like that. But what it, what it was. Um, when I was like uh, uh, four, uh, 50 when I first came back to Malta, uh, my brother Mars uh, on drums, he'd, he'd be um, the drummer, I mean. Mm. He'd always be listening to, I, I still remember to this day, uh, the Billy Cobbin album uh, with the mandrel on the front of it, Funky Thide of Sings, mm-hmm. they twisted the, the letters. And on that album was Ralph McDonald. Right. And Mars would be in the, in the dining room, the percussionist. Yep. And Mars would be in the dining room playing playing the drums and stuff. And I'd always hear the the, the percussion. And my brother Mars used to say, "Mate, we'll get the congas and you'll play. You'll do. You'll be doing the rapping little part and blah 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 blah." So I it always like 
was in the back of my mind, oh, yeah, that would be great to play Congress with Mars, you know, when I was a kid. So it sort of stemmed from that, from my brother Mars, like, telling me, you know, and um, I started playing him and I just dug. I just, yeah, just rest is history. Right. Did you ever, have you ever picked up a guitar or bass or, or keys and given for, that a- For a very, for a very short time, I did, I did, uh, muck around with the bass literally for about a week. Okay. And then I thought, no, okay, let's get into the tune percussion. I remember buying a, a, a Glockenspiel. Yep. And we were in Perth and it was in the back of the truck. I didn't use it for one gig and it was got stolen. So that was the end of my tune percussion. <laughs> 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 what about, what about kit playing? What about drum? Nah, never, no. Nah. Nah, I've never really, no, nah, just. Yeah, sorry, go on, yeah. Go on. Yeah, no, never, never really uh, even contemplated wanting to be a drummer. Okay. If, if anything, I've always, um, I, my other, uh, yeah, drums would be great and, and bass, obviously, but I dig, as far as funk's concerned, I dig rhythm guitar, man. Yeah. Just that, you know, just the, oh, the, the guys that play that funk thing. That's something, uh, if I had my time back, I would, wouldn't mind taking up as well. Right. So let, let's talk about some of the other music that you're listening to, or that your that your family were listening to, and um, you know, with fifteen children, the fights over the record player. I mean, <laughs> uh, well, there wasn't that many fights because everyone we were all into the same music. Oh, which right. was well, really go. good. That so makes it easy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it did, it did. But I remember my sister Rita. Uh, she bought a great, you know, when it was first, the, the first stereos and the quadraphonics and stuff in the 70s, she bought this really happening uh, system. Um, and she used to get a little bit shirty if you touched it without her being there. But I still remember one of my favourite albums was Sir Knows Devoid of Funk by Parliament. And as to play it on her, on her, on her um, turntable and stuff, I used to love it. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, back then we used to listen to a lot of Al Green. Yep. Um Aretha Franklin, the girls used to love listening to Aretha Frank, Franklin, uh, Tower of Power, Earth, Wind & Fire, um, uh, Brecker Brothers, Crossfire, not Crossfire, Weather Report. Yep. Uh, all that all that sort of stuff it was uh, uh, Average White Band, uh, Brothers Johnson. We were listening to that all the time, growing up from the very, as long as I remember, it was always either soul, funk, or, you know, jazz funk, always. Right. Did you start... Sort of zoning into the percussion in in those bands, had you kind of developed that sort of ear to listen towards that stuff? Because I, I know yeah, in, it, I know in um, my when I'm listening to music, my ear obviously goes to the drummer and it goes to the bass, and sometimes I struggle a little bit to try and find the percussion in there when I know it's in there. Um, was that something that kind of naturally came to you, being able to zone in on the percussion parts? Well, I don't know about maybe naturally. I don't remember, but I think okay. over time, yeah, you definitely zone in to hear the percussion parts. Uh, most most definitely, I still, uh, still do love listening to like the uh, um, the nice, tasteful percussion parts and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I get, I hear them really clearly now. Um, but I, I know what you mean. A lot of times, you know, I'll be listening to something and someone will say, "Oh, they can't hear the congas." It's like yeah, they're there; they're just in the background where they should be. Yeah, in some songs. You know, unless it's a, a Latin full percussion thing, yeah. Oh right, yeah. But that's that's you know that's the thing with percussion. Also, a lot of the times, less is more. Definitely with percussion. Yeah. And a lot of mistakes people make 
with with percussion. Like you see uh, lead singers with the tambourine in their hand on on the on the mic playing this, and yeah. the tambourine will cut through whether you've got oh, the mic there man. or not. So you know you got this happening band playing this great groove, and the, uh, the singer will come on and start playing a tambourine for like three or four bars, and stop and drop it down, and they're like pick it up again when they're, and it's like. It's an instrument. It's really loud. It's actually adding to the tune, but not in a positive way. You know, it's like that's that sort of annoys me a lot. I'm laughing because uh, if if some of my old bandmates are listening, um, they would tell you how much I hated that in this particular band that I was in. There was a singer that, um, yep, they didn't know. Yeah. They thought the the vocal and the tambourine had to be in, in the same spot. Yeah, and, 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 and because it's a tambourine, <laughs> absolutely. And the thing is, because it's a tambourine, they think it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a tambourine, but it's 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 a sound. Yeah, people are hearing it out the front, and it's detracting from the song. So you know, and other other things with tambourines. There's a without mentioning names. There's a couple of recordings where the lead singer play tambourine as though they were on stage oh, and wow. to my to my shot and it's on there and it's loud and a lot of times out of time on the on a cd okay and percussion is tony as a party you know they didn't say tambourine and oh. this song is blah 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 or, <laughs> or, or or yeah man or cowbell and this song is played by blah blah they just you know so <laughs> and that's there <laughs> that's there for the rest of my life i mean people that know no. the person would know it was him but right man well, you've narrowed you know, it. You've it's, narrowed it's it. An instrument and it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Man. Yeah. No, no, no. It's cool. Um. So you're you're self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I I, I am self-taught. I didn't have any musical uh, education as far as classroom. Yep. Or that, I, I I don't read music. Okay. Uh, I've been really really lucky. Again, uh, and I put it down to my uh, brother Mars, who was a drummer. He who was uh, the discipline. He taught me to listen. And to lock in. Yep. And if what I'm doing doesn't add, just don't play. Yeah. You don't have to play in every song being a percussionist. Like if you're a horn section, you don't have to play a trumpet solo in every single song. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to have the horns playing in every song. Yep. In a band. If, if you're, and it's the same with percussion. Just because you've got a million instruments, it doesn't mean you need to play something in every song. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's a very important part, I think, of, of, of percussion too. Just as, as I said, because you have all this stuff, mm. you know, listen uh, and, and mainly listen. I always try to lock in with the drums and I'm, a lot of the times I'll say, um, hey, man, am I locking in? Do you want me to back off? Right. Uh, do you want to, you know what I mean? Because I have no problem then telling me, oh, yeah, look, this because the idea is you just want the song to sound nice and clean, right? Do you have the Do you have a discussion with the drummer before you before you start playing, or or is it? Oh, not all the time. Yeah, the, okay. It depends I, on the gigs. I, yeah, I understand. On sessions, you'll obviously you need to have those conversations, you know. But you know, on a live gig, if you're kind of you know rocking up as a the first time you've played with this drummer, um, is it a case of hey man, I you know. How do you want it to go tonight, um, or do you just sort of play yeah. and, and you open your ears? And, and Sometimes it depends. Yep. Look, if it's just a function thing and you're doing covers, yep. Uh, not really because it's you know you just sort of it's covers. Gotcha. So I it, understand. It's no, I understand. You know you know what I mean. You yeah. know what the songs are. You know how it's going to be played. 
Um, but if it's like a live uh, TV thing or mm. something, original music or, yeah, definitely like uh, I was doing uh, a gig at, uh, a couple of years ago at 606 and it was a young young drummer in the thing and it was a lot of it like original and, and yeah, I, I, I spoke to him and told him, you know, drop me to blah, blah, blah and mm. drop me to play in that song, drop me to, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. It depends. It, it depends at the gig, what the gig is. Maybe when I was younger, I would have done it, but I was lucky again because for the first five or six years of my musical career, I played with my brother Mark yeah, on yeah, drums. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So, you know what I mean? I learned so much from that mm. and listening and, and, yeah, so I was very, very lucky in that department. Okay. Well, let's start. Let's move outside the family band now. So you, you were – Okay. Yep. So when was your first – um, sort of break away from the family into something else uh, in regards to music. Okay, well, yep, I joined the band after um, Africa at King Cobra, which was a pretty well-known reggae band back then. And the lead singer, uh, the lead, the leader of the band, trumpeter, percussionist, was Eddie Kwanza, ex Osabisa mm-hmm. trumpeter, African guy, mm-hmm. um, great musician, and we used to do all this reggae come African uh, music. And it was a really popular band. We used to play at uh, Ipsin a lot. Mm-hmm. And back then there were a lot of, um, quite a quite a lot of reggae uh, bands in Sydney gigging a lot. And there used to be a thing called Rock Against Racism held every, for a few months there at, at the weekends at the Sydney Town Hall where all these reggae bands would be playing. Right. So King Cobra, and that was, you know, we did a couple of albums that were on, uh, we played on an, uh, a movie soundtrack as well. So it was it was a fairly well-known band for a while, had a good following. But as far as what I would call um, my breakthrough, if you call it a breakthrough, as far as starting to work with name musicians and session musos and stuff like that, was um, the real, I think it was called The Real Ale on, on, um, in the city, and I... Uh, I was playing in Maggie McKinney's band with Jamie McKinley, mm-hmm. who just passed, um, Greg Henson, yep. um, um, R- Rex Go, mm-hmm. and Mark Costa. Okay. And it was like, you know, all like session musos. And yeah. It was like, that was like my first, oh, wow, man, these cats are all really good. So that was like, to me anyway, in my mind. That's your, yeah. And then after yep. that, you know what I mean? I was yep. sort of blown away to be playing with those cats. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, Greg. Greg Henson was friend, Mark Costa. Mark Costa, still young Mark Costa. He was fantastic. Yep. And Rexy, uh, I love Rexy. We're great mates. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it's the first time in that band that I played with this great guitarist and great friend of mine, um, great singer as well, John Bettison. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he played in that band too. He was he was fantastic. So, And then from that band, uh, who I still think is one of the great voices of Australia, at the moment, and I love him dearly. We, we are, again, good mates. It's Doug Parkinson asked me to join, which blew me away because, like, he was a name guy. I was blown away. We do it, and we did a show called Soul Man, which is like a theatre thing at Kinsella's, mm-hmm. and um, it was Soul Man is some other thing, some other soul show with Maggie McKinney, Alison Jaya, um, Carol Starkey did it, um, uh, who else? Um, quite a few singers did it. Tony Alalis, mm-hmm. I know uh, Martin Monroe. I know I'm forgetting someone. I'm going to get into trouble. No, that's cool. So anyway, so then I joined the Doug Parkinson band, and it was uh, a, a show called Soul. One of the shows was called Soul Man. We toured Australia with it. Yep. 
and that was like that was great fun. Mm. And um, and Soul Man and uh, some other soul show that was with Doug Partners. And then after that, I stayed with Doug for about five or six years and did heaps of gigs with him all over the place uh, for ages. It was yep. it was great working with Doug. Mm. Um, and then just I started doing sessions and working for um, different people. Started to snowball mm. uh, from then on. Yep. And so then, so um, around around what year was this? What year we looking? That was that was around eighty six, eighty seven when I started to like okay be working a lot, being demand if you know whatever it's called demand or whatever. But I was working heaps. Now some real heydays then. Oh yeah, man, they really were. Hey, hey days and hazy Flat days, <laughs> from what I've Absolutely. heard. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And um, and then like after that partners, and I, what was the next? Um, it was a lot of after that. It was a lot of like in different things, mm. like flat out doing different things with, with different people. But the next long term thing after Doug was um, the Andrew O band. Okay, and that was great fun. We we're doing the basement. Uh, we're doing the the second show there for a while, the the late show, and they're at the basement every uh, weekend for for ages. Mm. And we toured uh, with Andrew. We toured Fiji. Um, um, uh, where, where else were we? Thailand. We did Thailand Jazz Festival, mm-hmm. the 50th anniversary of the King. There, um, Thai Jazz Festival. That was fantastic. Uh, we went to some other places with Andrew, but that was great. Mm. It was always great working with Andrew. It was really lovely music. We recorded a few different. Um, Albums with him, that was great. And um, then Marsha Hines, that was that was a great fun thing too. That went for years and years working with Marsha. Yep. And it was always good music, looked after, um, great fun uh, with Victor Rounds and Kerry and, yep. and, and Johnny Bettison for years and years. You know, you you're on the road with really good mates. You're, you're making good bucks. You're playing good music. You, you're being looked after. It was a really great period. Um, and at the same time, I started doing this show called um, Drumbeat because at around 89, my wife was pregnant with Holly and I decided, look, and I was touring heaps with Marsha and other things going away for weeks at a time. And I thought, I've got to do something because I, I want to stay home yeah. with the family and, yep. and not just be away most of the time. Mm-hmm. And long story short, I got this show together called Drumbeat, um, which only stopped a couple of years ago. And my partner... Mark Stewart and I got it together. And anyway, we were on the road more than before, so it was a bit of a disaster. Whoa. So I hit that on the head and, and yeah, it was like we were away six out of every ten weeks. But that was right. that was after my daughter was already born by then. But yeah, so that that didn't work out well. So I just did the the Sydney shows from that drumbeat thing. So let's uh, can we talk um, can we talk a little bit about the about the drumbeat thing? Um, explain yeah. what it actually was and what you did and, and what your sort of your curriculum or your, your syllabus was and what your goals were sort of going well, in. We, we could, well, I just wanted to do it yeah. uh, to um, have some money coming in where I don't have to be on tour all the time and away right. from the family. Okay. Right? Being at home, whatever. And it backfired because we're always six out of every 10 weeks right. doing country tours and, and stuff like that. Yep. And it was, we, we, uh, we could, we cleared to teach from K to 12, mm-hmm. from K to year 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was great. And, you know, when, you're in the, when we're trying in the country, we're doing three shows a day in the same school. It was, a, right. and then pack the gear up and drive to the next country town. It was flat out and it was really good money, but, Oh man, I, I, I could, after a couple of years, I couldn't do it. It's just too much. But my partner, Mark kept doing it right up until, 
two years ago when he had a stroke, unfortunately. Oh, but uh, uh, it was, yeah, it was for all schools and it was a great show. It was just like a history of percussion. We did heaps of playing oh, and we got heaps of kids up, got heaps of kids up to play the instruments. It was a great success. I mean, you That's know, awesome. it was all drums. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. That's and awesome. it got rave reviews from the Department of Education. Um, yeah, I remember because um, I, I did my schooling in New Zealand um, we used to have stuff come through our schools like that all the time, um, as did my, my, you know, my younger brother. He's a little bit younger than me. Um, you know, I've got two kids now. They're eight and ten, and not not once has there been anything like that come through their school. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's terrible, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, why, do you, why do you think that is? It's, a, I guess, a funding thing. I mean, they're, they're in public school. Maybe they're not getting the funding for it. I don't know, man. I, I don't know if the whole uh, music thing is, is happening in the education department here, really, is it? Yeah. No, I, I, you know, when I was a kid at school, uh, there was always one period a week for music. Yeah, man, that's, that was my best subject. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's man. Like, and that's been, gone for, that's been gone for ages. Yeah, it's a shame. So it? it really is, yeah. Mm. It's it's terrible. Um and and also, which is terrible at the moment, because of the you know the old days, every pub and every club had a live band, and all the young cats, uh, you know, the garage band guys would get some pub gig somewhere for no money to start with and play. See, those gigs aren't around anymore. Yeah, they're all like a lot of pubs now, just poker machines. Or especially now, there's no gigs anywhere. Yeah, but even true. before the COVID thing, you know, the days of every pub having a band uh, is is no longer happening. So the young cats don't have an avenue to play live like we used to. Yeah. Every pub, every RSL club, every uh, leagues club had live music. Yeah, I was just talking to someone about this the other day and he asked me the quest- that same qu- like question, like where are the young upcomers going to play, you know? Yeah, um, that's, well, that's it, where? And, and, and you know, also what's happening, you get the – and, you know, you can't blame them, but you get a lot of weekend warriors. Yep. They go and work in, in the very few clubs that are left open. They'll work for nothing. They'll work for just beers and food. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's happening too. So it's really tough. It's not It's not very easy out there. It really isn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. All right. So. I mean, I, I, I was really lucky. Yeah. Uh, through, yeah, you yeah. know, my youth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Flat out. Flat out. Definitely part of a, a, a really good phase in Australian music and Sydney music. Very lucky, that's, mate. That's for sure. Very lucky. That's for sure. Okay, so we've we've talked about the drum beat thing because I dragged you back there. Yeah. <laughs> I stopped in your tracks there and grabbed that one. No, that's, <laughs> that's cool, yeah. man. Yeah, so um yeah, playing with Marsha, doing the drum beat thing. So we're we're two yeah. from there. Yep. Oh can I can I just say how was your taste in music changing? Do you remember? Were you still going back and listening oh. to that to that funk and soul yeah, and I- yeah, to this day, man. Okay. That's sort cool. of still, and a lot of a lot of the funk stuff I listen to does doesn't even have percussion in it. Yep, yep. But I still I still dig it. You know what I mean? It's just, um, yeah. I still listen to the, the same stuff. Oh, you know, similar stuff that comes out. But I, I still also like a lot of new stuff that's coming. I'm not this blind to to <laughs> funk stuff and only. But I prefer what I prefer here is just the groove funk stuff. I love it. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. Yeah, the kids love it too because I sing, sing along with them and stuff with them. Fantastic. I think it's very cool. Fantastic. Um, okay, so from Marsha, 
Um, what are we sort of getting? Had you had you started to do? Oh, because. I did see a, f- a few clips of, of Marsha on live television. Do you remember your first yep. live television experience and how that went down? Um, and, um, yes. Yep. It was uh, it was a show called um, Friday at the Zoo. Uh, there was an old disco movie out called Thank God It's Friday. Yep. yep. Uh, do you remember that song, Thank God It's Friday? Anyway, I can't remember how it went. And it was a sh- there was a disco thing in Sydney, I think Channel 10 or something. It like, went about three weeks. Right. It didn't last long, and the band Africa played. Okay. The band Africa played on that. That was the first TV experience, and also uh, the midday show. And this is a true story. We're doing we're doing down to the nightclub. Uh, uh, I think that's a is that a Tower of Power? I think it's a Tower of Power song. Yeah, Tower of Power song. Down to the nightclub Night on the midday Club. show. Dun, dun, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So there's this band with a couple of girls on sax. Um, on the midday show and, and, and the, the backup, the Channel 9 band had all these heavyweights in there, like uh, Crossfire, like Mick Kenny and Spoons Buchanan yep. and Herbie Cannon and all these really great musers that we'd look up to and go and see play at, at the Mansell Room and all that, like, look, you know, and there we are playing <laughs> uh, Tower of Power stuff. And they, they, you know, they loved it. Yep. And then they used to come to the carousel and working at Lay Girls at the Cross. Yep. And... They, all those cats would come up and blow with us and stuff. So, yeah, it was a Mike Walsh show. Wow. And we did um, Downton the Nightclub and we did another Tower Power song. We did two two songs on the show. But that was my first TV experience. I remember it clearly. Right. Very clearly. Were you scared? Do you remember if you were scared? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I was more scared of the guys in the band. All oh, right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, because it's like, wow, about like you know, yeah. all these heavy cats are looking yeah. at us play, you know. I, I was more scared of that than the actual than the actual TV camera. Well, that's probably good then. The actual live <laughs> television. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it yeah. was. Mate, you, you want to know about scared? Yeah. Just a quick story about yeah, uh, uh, We were in Perth. We're doing the support for um, – uh, I, I can't believe I forget his name. But we just went and saw Chick Corea. Yep at the stadium in Perth the night before. And he had Flora Puren with him. And we used to do a Flora Puren song in the band Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, we were supporting, you make me feel like dancing. Oh, Leo Sayer. <laughs> Come yep. on. Yeah, Leo Sayer. We supporting Leo Sayer. Yep. We were supporting Leo Sayer. And, yeah, the night before we saw Chick Corea. Yep. And we're playing on stage of support in, in, at the Entertainment Centre in Perth, which is a really great place. It's not down now, but it was packed. And... Next thing you know, I hear the bass player sort of mucking up a little and it was just a weird vibe on stage. And I looked around, the bass player was white. And anyway, we went off stage and for the last few songs of the set, Chick Corea was there <laughs> with Flora Purin side of stage. And we were told, we were told before that he was, he was friends and they were both Scientologists. At the time, oh, Leo Sayer and Chick Corea. Apparently, look, I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe it shouldn't go it's out. a good story. It was a good story and, anyway. <laughs> and we we said to we said to the promoter, "Oh, crap! There's no way." Yeah, as if sure enough, man, he was there. Wow. And so we had all these pamphlets and stuff in the back room, and he walked in with Flora Purin, and we just did one of his songs, and it was like you know, we're like, "Oh, we saw your show. You're so great." And he saw that we didn't even get him to sign it, or we had cameras there, we didn't get photos. And right. but the funny thing was, he said, um, "Oh, was that you guys out on stage?" He said, "Yeah, yeah." And he's gone, "Oh, 
that was really interesting. And not easy to say to walk out. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the bass player saw him on the side and he was just terrified. Right. <laughs> Talking about stage fright, I think. Yeah, I didn't even know he was there, but, yeah, that, that was definitely stage fright from the bass player. That's a, that's a pretty shit attitude from Chick Corea to come in and say that. Like, well, you know, he could have said, go, hey, um, you know, maybe he's just yeah, yeah, but he's got to be honest and said, man, he could have been honest and said, guys, you got, he sounded pretty – Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode of the podcast. As you know, the Gig Life Podcast is free. You don't have to pay anything ever. But if you find the value in the Gig Life Podcast, you can donate or leave a tip. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com, click on that donate button, and give as little or as much as you like, and just know that anything you give will go back into creating great content for this podcast. All right, back to the episode. Now, um, I've heard some stories about hand percussionists after gigs banging their hands up so bad that they go back to their or backstage or back to their house, back to their homes or, or rooms or whatever and just drop their hands in ice. Now, is that something you ever encountered? Did you ever hit that hard? Is, is that a thing? Yeah, that, that is a thing. But okay. you see, I made a couple of mistakes. The one mistake I did, my brother, again, Mars, when I first started, if, if he heard me, because they'd split, your fingers would split, like right, little yeah. cuts and stuff. Right. Not, not major, like, but they would. So you'd tape them up and stuff. But, you know, it, it would hurt. And my brother would turn around and say, hit the effing things. Right, so okay. I remember hitting them and, like, nearly being in tears and stuff. And the mistake I made, he told me at the end of every show, uh, <laughs> pour metho on them to toughen your your oh, calluses up. Jeez, that'll dry them up, won't it? Exactly. <laughs> and that is what you don't want to do. Yeah, it's more you cracks. You don't want to dry them up. It's more cracks. Exactly. <laughs> I did it for years, man. And it's like, and I remember Sunil the Silver saying to me, no, man, moisturizer. Yeah. And well, it, of course, it makes sense. Or Terps. Yeah, maybe, maybe you meant Terps because Terps is oil based yeah, and think, it stays on your, stays on your hands. Maybe he meant that. Anyway, <laughs> what he meant, either way, it's wrong. It should have been just a moisturizer or cream or something. But yeah, that yeah. was that. Yeah, but yeah, look, even even when I was doing uh, Burn the Floor, that, that 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 dance, great dance show, we were doing act shows a week, and it was full on percussion, and I, I loved it. It was the best theatre. Well, this was really a theatre show. It was just a dance spectacular. It was amazing. Um, I loved doing that that show. But yeah, at the end of every night, man, my fingers would be swollen and. Yeah, I do remember putting them in cold water just um, a couple of times. Right. It's a bit like while we're on that, burn the floor. So talk a little bit about that, how that came about. Well, again, I was really lucky with that one. Um, I do need to mention one person, Charlie Hull, who who produced all the music for Burn the Floor, and he's a, a great musician. He used to work with Marshall and stuff. He's, he gave me the opportunity he used to get me to do a lot of sessions for him and he'd call me in and tell me about this show burn the floor and you know to do the percussion for it and I was I was doing the percussion and uh one day they invited Charlie and myself 
to go to the show and see the show. And we saw it, and I remember thinking, "Wow, man, that would be an awesome show to play to play with," because they're all just incredible dancers. There's a lot of, and it's all like Afro or Latin. It's just full on congas all the way through us. Cool. Man. So one day uh, I'm doing a session in there with Charlie, uh, Jason Gilkinson, who was one of the producers at the time of the show. He was a world. He was Australian. He's, he's a dancer, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Uh, he, he and Peter won the world championship uh, right. in, in Europe, which you know blew everyone away because someone out of Europe to win a world championship for a dancing thing is unheard of. And right. I didn't realize how huge it is right. in Europe. Ballroom dancing is just massive. Yes. So he was in the studio, and I thought, okay, here's my time. And he's a lovely guy. And I went, I went up to him as a joke. I said, oh mate. Mate, just imagine having percussion up there with all those girls and guys dancing around me. It'd be fantastic, just as a laugh, right? And he's, <laughs> so two days, two, two days later, he called Charlie. Calls and says, "Listen, they they uh, want to have some musos on stage." And the rest is history. I went to uh, um, China with them um, a couple of times. Uh, England. I was just it was fantastic. But what was the great thing about all the dancers were literally like all from different parts of the world. They were just amazing, yeah. amazing dancers, an amazing experience. And to now um, my son is one of the lead singers in the show, the percussionists in the show. Right. So, wow. yeah, it's, it, yeah it's, a, it's a buzz. And it's, you know, it's just a world-famous uh, dance spectacular. And it's huge in Europe. It's big here too, but, yeah, Burn the Floor, it's amazing, amazing show. Fantastic. And they, yeah, I love doing that. That was my favourite actual theatre show as far as uh, playing. All right, let's let's talk about your your son. It's Tyler, isn't it? He's the percussionist yeah. and, and singer. You said, um, and drummer, uh, and a drummer as well. Okay, great. Now, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at what stage did he start sort of getting involved in the music? And and I can imagine, um, you know, the caliber of musicians uh, you're involved in, you know. During those times, I'm, I'm sure he would have been around and he would have seen that stuff. Um, you know, you can't, right. you can't, you can't buy that kind of experience. You know, so um, absolutely. But yeah. it's got to be in you to start with. I agree. You know yeah, I was kind of getting, get, you either you, you got to want to do it. You know, <laughs> you know. And, and, you, and I'll give you an example. My <laughs> my two daughters, well, my yeah, my eldest daughter especially, yeah. but who I adore, obviously, all equal. She had. She's going to kill me when she uses. this. She had flute lessons, sax, sax lessons, uh, piano lessons, singing lessons, yeah. dancing lessons. Um, she was an okay dancer, but she just didn't have it enough. Yeah. And I remember one, one time my mate uh, Tim Oren was giving her uh, flute lessons. Yep. And he was straight up, straight shooter, and I said to him after about the second or third lesson, I said, Tim, is it worth me – with these fruit lessons going on, no man, it's a waste of time. So, okay. what I'm saying is, they had all these lessons and yeah. stuff. They just didn't have it in them. I gotcha. My son, on the other hand, you know, I showed him a few things, but he just picked everything up. He's, you know, sings great, plays drums, plays percussion. He's just a, he's just a natural. Yeah, it's just in him. He's, yeah, he's a very, very talented kid. That's great. Very proud of him. That's very cool. Um, okay, so. Now, I, again, I stopped you in your tracks and <laughs> brought you back to um, brought you back to that dance show. So, where were we sort of going from there? Um, um, it was what happens after Marsha. It was uh, Andrew Rowe. Yeah. Um, um, 
and the next next not necessarily big break, but the next big part of my musical life, which was a, a real huge buzz, um, let me see, was getting on Oz. Well, actually, meeting John Foreman. Okay. I was I was doing. I, I got a call from Gordy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, John Foreman was doing his record, one of his very early record launches at the basement. This one day and. Gordy rang me and asked, am I available to do it? I said, yeah, absolutely. So did the gig and then from that um, we ended up touring, which was a, a, another amazing experience, the uh, the Montreal Jazz Festival with John Foreman. Wow. John Foreman, Dave Ar- um, Adam, Adam Armstrong's a bass player. Mm-hmm. I get him confused, Adam Armstrong, Dave Armstrong. A- Adam Armstrong and uh, Gordy and – John Foreman and myself on percussion, mm-hmm. and that was that was an amazing experience. It was really was it blew me away. Yeah, and and then from that, uh, he and uh, John Foreman and, and and Gordy and Mark and all these cats started doing Australian Idol. Yep. And there was there wasn't like percussion, right? But they'd get me in on a Tuesday. John Foreman would get me in on a Tuesday night at eleven or twelve o'clock at night after everyone because they used to do the Tuesday. Or the Sunday recordings. You remember, it was, it was yep. two days, and one day it was live, and the other day it was pre-recorded. Yeah, I think the Tuesday was pre-recorded, and the Sunday was live. Okay, and so he'd get me in like on the Monday night or something, and do all the percussion at the end. Right, and it was the first. It was the first season, and I said to him again as a joke. I said, "Oh, John, mate, wouldn't it be better if I was just in the band? That way, you wouldn't have to come in at <laughs> midnight on a Monday." I think I was going to get anyway. I got the gig, <laughs> and that was. That was great. I mean, yeah. that was like yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It was pressure gig because yeah. it was live, you know, and it was like on a, on a weekend. Uh, the first, uh, so there'd be twelve singers. The first time you're doing six, you're running through this song six times, and they're doing it live. So there's you know uh, twelve times six, seventy two, and then another six, seventy eight songs you're playing in the one day. Yeah. So it wasn't you know sure there ain't one minute, one and a half minute song still, <laughs> but. Well, the pressure's off. I didn't yeah. read. I had to memorise it. Yeah, right, right, right. But, but Gordy, or you know, Gordy, I was just kind of my rescue and sort of give me the nine million at yeah. crucial parts. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was that was so much fun. We just had so much fun doing that show. It was great. Yeah, I um when I had Gordy on the podcast and Mark on the podcast, um I told them both this like when I when Australian Idol first came on, I used to tune in to watch you guys, man. You know, not so well, much that's, the singers. You know, the, yeah. The I, thing I, about Australian Idol, if you look at it, they really featured the band. The band and the totally, music were featured heaps, which, totally. yeah, which was, which was fantastic. It was great. Yeah, it was really, really good. Um, that was, it was great fun, man. We, we had a ball. We were looked after. It was just so much fun. Did, and I was really lucky also because my kids were at the age where they were blown away by Idol. Okay. And they, you know, they come to the show and just their eyes are huge. It was like it was a buzz to see them, you know, getting excited about something like that. Yeah. Did you? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. From that, I mean, because you like back then you had long dark hair. You probably used to wear the head, yeah. I did have long hair. And you know, you, yeah, not, not the headband, but I had the I had the, the, well, the sort of scrunchie at the back. Yeah. So it was you had yeah. a, you had a look and and um very identifiable. Did you ever get? Was it ever a case of, hey, that's the dude from 
that's the that's that cool percussionist from from Australian Idol. Oh, well, you, you mean in public now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Oh. But when I was doing drumbeat, Mark Mark Stewart, my partner, used to yeah. mention it all the time, and I'd get you know ask all the questions. You can oh, get cool. so and so's autograph, and yeah. But yeah. no, I never got recognised because if I seen you, I would have gone, "Hey, that's that's." That's the percussionist from Australian Idol. <laughs> well, look, the, the thing is, they used to show us tapes and we yeah, used to have right. – uh, Gordy and Mark are probably cool for this, but yeah. we used to – it wasn't necessarily a competition, but we'd go home and, and, like, say, oh, mate, they showed you more than me. I know Mark, I showed more than you last week. And it's like, we used to call it – we used to call them Guernseys. I got right. more Guernseys than you, right? <laughs> and so we'd, we'd, even, we'd even go to the stage where you'd see the rehearsals and you'd see who – where the cameras are and who they're going to feature at what certain time. Right. And we'd even put, put like barricades in the way of the cameraman so you can't get to a certain shot so he has to take a shot of someone else. Right. It got to that stage and that was, it was, it was funny though. It was great fun. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, let's talk about your recording process going into sessions. Um, when you get called for a session, um, you know, what's, what's in the back of the car? What do you take to a session? Um, okay, that's a, that's a great – that is a great question because what do you take being a percussionist? I've got, yeah. a, I've got a, a, a semi-trailer truck because the, the classic thing is, oh, bring everything. Yep. It's like, well, man, I can't bring everything because I don't have a truck big enough. Yep. You know, then what, what are the – so, so oh, it's nice if I get to hear the songs first. Yep. So then I have an idea what, what's needed, right? Or I ask them, what would you like me to bring? Yep. And if they say bring all your toys, and I say, well, I can't bring every single thing I own because I don't have a, a vehicle big enough. Yeah. Because sometimes the trap is also, it doesn't happen often, but it used to happen early on. And it, it happened just recently where they see your box and say, oh, play that. Yeah, right. It's like, oh, but the song doesn't need it. I'll play it anyway. We'll just keep it. So, you know, they just get you right. to play all the all the instruments unnecessarily just to have it on, on tape. It's like. Right. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, man. It's like, you know, um, yeah, I ask them what the song is. I listen to the song and I'll say, well, you probably just need this or that or whatever. Unless it's a pretty, you know, a lot of the times when you're doing uh, albums, big buck albums, the producer will say he okay. wants this and that. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no mucking around. They know exactly what they want. It's when you go to, and, and, to a band and it's their own stuff and they're not really sure what they want, it can get a bit, Tricky because I'll just get you to play every instrument known to man um, on every track. So you're doing, you know, 10 or 12 tracks per track, yep. literally. Yep. Um, I've been talking to well, I've been talking to Kerry for a long time now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he says in the studio, you're, you know, you, you've got, you know, fantastic time, but you're the one take guy, you know. Oh, man, that's really nice. It's, look. I love working with Kerry. It's like he's such an easy drummer to play with as far as where the two and four is met. He's just – he's so in the pocket mm-hmm. that it's it's not hard to play in time when you've got his drums, you know, in the in the background. And as far as the one-take thing, I'm flattered that he says that, but I think it's not always one-take. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. But, that, yeah, that's just how um... – Well, I'm flattered that he says that um, – mm. But I, I do like to get a listen to the song at home first. Okay. And how often? For a while. I listen over and over and over and over. Okay. So um, oh. I suppose, yeah, without being a reader too, not being able to rock up there and, and catching, like reading the chart, you know, that that's That's right. And look, 
Exactly right. And that's why I don't mind hearing it over because I don't want to go in there and, and, and slow the process down. I think it's because I'm paranoid about not being a reader yeah. and paranoid about, you know, everyone else being a reader and doing their stuff and then me, oh, look, can you play that uh, first eight bars again just so I can get the groove? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'd like to go in there ready and maybe I overcompensate and that's why I might do it in one take because I'm just so focused on don't stuff up. Because right. I've been listening to it over and over and over and over at home anyway. Right, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah, sorry, go. No, you're up. Um, so um, before I dragged you back and to talk about studio and oh, we were talking about Idol. So now, um, <laughs> from from Idol, what sort of exposure did that give you? What doors did it open? Um, well, it actually opened a lot of doors with Billy Hyde's because I got sponsored by Billy Hyde's, which was great. Oh, right, okay, awesome. Yeah, yeah. They and 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 the thing was also, uh, and because I was I was sponsored with Billy Hyde's and, and um, I used to get T-shirts given to me, Billy Hyde's, and I'd hand them out to the crew. Okay. And so on the Tuesday, they used to have that behind the scenes idol thing. When it was really huge, it was a Tuesday yeah. show or Sunday show. So, and they had the behind the scenes idol uh, thing. And a couple of the crew members were wearing Billy Hyde's t-shirt. So it was in their advantage to do it. So it was great. And also when they did interviews with people or when uh, they're just, you know, about to go to the next thing, the, the, the two presenters would say, okay, next on the blah, blah, blah. They'd set them up next to my Congress. The Billy Hyde's logo. Oh, cool. So they were getting, and it was like the most, it was the most watched show yeah, it was. in Australia at the time. Yeah. So they was getting tons of exposure. Right. So, you know, it, it worked for both of us. Right. So that really, that opened a lot of doors with as far as um, uh, sponsorship and stuff was concerned. Yeah, that's cool. Now, what about, what about gigs, yeah. gigs that you didn't think you'd get due to something like that? Well, I don't think I got any gigs because I was in it. Okay. At the time, at the time, again, I was lucky. Yeah. I, I was flat out doing heaps of gigs with different bands. I used to have to juggle. And, in fact, it, I, I was supposed to do, not supposed to, but they wanted me to do the Las Vegas leg of ballroom. Right. And it coincided with Idol, and I just didn't want to burn the Idol bridge. Yeah. And so Sunil the Silver actually did the um, – Las Vegas burned the floor for me and I, I did the idle thing. So I, I don't remember getting um, – the only work we did get was like when we did a Australia Day sort of Australia uh, Australian Idol Band in Australia Day gig. Yep. And the first two years there was a tour with the Australian Idols and yep. the Australian Band around Australia. Yep. That went for two years. So yep. they're only the, – what I remember, the only gigs that we got from that TV show. Okay. Other than a TV show, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does totally. Okay, so I yeah. so Idol ends. Um, what do we do from there? Yeah, two thousand. Idol ended in two thousand and nine, yeah. and what? Uh, oh, well, the profits were still going. Yep. Um, I was doing the other. That's, um, that's Jeff, um, Jeff Duff, the, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, Jeff Duff and the Profits. That yep. was going for ages. That show and 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 Bedacious Cowboys. Yep, with Kerry. Yep. And I was back with I was back with Marsha for a few years after that. Okay. Um, but then in 2011, I got sick and sort of uh, went off the road for about six months or something. So things changed a little bit there for about 12 months or so. Yep. Um, but yeah, but I think it, uh, went back to Marshall for a couple of years. And then after that, it was Batacious Cowboys. Um, I think the profits ended by then. 
Yep. But and, and you know, theatre gigs at the, the, the um, Strictly Ballroom, um, did the Thriller show when it came out, mm. 2014, 15. Mm. Um, so they kept me going. The theatre shows, the schools and, and, and sessions, still doing quite a few sessions. Mm. Um, that was the main um, breadwinner at the time. That's cool. After after Idol, say. Yeah. Um. You said you got sick. Do you wanna Do you wanna talk about that? Oh, look, it's okay. Yeah, I got mate. Died in 2011. Got diagnosed with cancer, and that was a bit of a freak out. Mm-hmm. Um, from being really fit and healthy and whatever. Yeah. Um, it was, it was pretty heavy there for about 12 months, but after you know, I was very very lucky. It's all been good ever since. Oh, that's great. That's so great. yeah, that that that. But I've got to also say what a, a huge, huge, huge thank you to all those people that went to my uh, benefit concert. Yep. And, and, and the benefit concert was at uh, Balmain somewhere. I can't remember the name of it. But, um, you know, Kerry Buchanan, Gordy, my sisters, they went out of their way. to or, or The whole Bodacious Cowboys band played for me. It was, you know, I, I love them all. I just really want to thank them all. Yep. Everyone that, that went to that literally saved me. It was, it was a really beautiful thing. And it was the first day that show was on. The benefit concert was on the first day I, I was. I started my chemo and radiation treatment, so I was at home, crook as a dog. Um, <laughs> you know, getting calls from my kids. Oh, dad, this and dad, that. It was it was beautiful, and seeing oh, all the videos, it really did. It, it, best medicine ever, man. It was great. So the music, musos, mate. When when times are tough and you're in need, they did all come to help, mate. And and, and Band Aid helped out in a huge way. What a great great organisation, Band Aid. I can't say enough for those guys. Yeah. No, it's got, actually, it's not bad, isn't it? Support Act? Support Act, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, Support Act is what I'm saying. Big, big thank you, man. Big thank you to Support Act. Uh, okay, okay, cool. If, um, yeah, I mean, they went to my benefit crisis, so that's cool. That's cool. Um, now, you, we were talking about Support Act there and, and, you know, how it's cool how musicians can come together and, I mean, we've got to look at the bushfires at the start of the year, the, the yeah, musicians, man. and um, it's it's a real kick in the teeth Right now with this COVID thing, um, and I sorry I had to come back to COVID. That you yeah, know, no, that, that's that, terrible, man. that is that is the industry that's decimated. Um, this, oh, the yeah. industry that's always been there to help <laughs> help out other people, and it's not getting the support that it needs right now. And I I think it's <laughs> it's a real kick in the teeth, to be honest. Yeah, and it's the freelance musos that are copping yep. the most. You know, that's right. Yeah, they're the ones that that, that um, don't get. The help that they need, yeah, because sure. uh, they don't have that that banner of um, job job keeper. I think they're they're on the job seeker thing, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, which is going to stop soon, and that's you know, what are they going to do? Where where are they going to get the what work are they going to do? Yeah, there's no work at the moment. That's right. Just don't know. Don't know. What's the worst injury you've played through? Oh man, yeah, the worst injury I played through. Well, um, apart from the uh, going to the Blue Note with in Kerry's band, um, and I had my I had a um, my chemo, my key. I, I was on this type of chemo. It was like in in a bum bag. Yep. And there was a the tube went under and entered my artery there. Okay. And so I was on. It was pouring in my body. 24 hours, seven days a week on chemo. And I was doing a gig with Kerry, feeling pretty crook at um, the Blue Note. 
Yeah, but I mean, but the playing in that was better than sitting at home feeling crook. So that yeah, was, gotcha. but that wasn't really an injury. The, the worst injury was I was playing cricket one day and I was wicket keeping, and it was Willie Quas team, this famous jazz uh, uh, drummer and trumpet player, I think, too, or, or sax player. Uh, Willie Quas, he had he's, every Saturday they would have this Musos versus Roadies cricket game, right. and I was wicket keeping at the time, and a ball hit me right. On my finger, it's still oh. bent now. Yeah. It broke it, and I had to do a gig that night with King Cobra. And I was I was playing with one hand, and the other hand had a drumstick. That was pretty uh, embarrassing, man. That was killing me. That's that's probably the worst injury I had and played with. Yeah, because that, that wasn't fun. I asked that question because you know hand hand percussion congas. You know, you're not just like with a drumstick. You can kind of tuck a couple of fingers it, away and. Yes, and, and play a certain yeah. way. You know, I've, pl- I've played with with sore wrist before, and you can just go to a, an arm action and not move your wrist and, and stuff like that. But conga, man, like that's it's your whole hand, your fingers. Oh, your, was, you know, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. But you know, saying that, just thinking of it, I've been pretty lucky if that was the only one, really. Right. Because we used to we used to do some crazy stuff. Mm. We used to play like uh, we, we play cricket without pads, especially like in the family band Africa. It was just really competitive. In fact. <laughs> I got sacked from from my family band. What happened was my brother and I, my brother Joe and I, were really competitive, really competitive in sports and so we all were. And he was the band leader. And um, we did a gig in Newcastle, and that, I stayed the night. And Dave drove back. And our next gig was at Gaddy's at Double Bay at the time, a disco that next night. So I stayed in Newcastle, and I was a mad West Indian cricket fan at the time. Yeah, my brother Joe was a crazy Aussie cricket fan. It was when the West Indies were just flogging Australia. Yes, and I, Viv- I love Viv, Viv Richards. Richards days. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yep, well, yeah. Love Viv Richards, yep, man. Yep. Anyway, and I, I, I still remember the headline, um, Viv Richards canes Aussies with walking stick. Right? I remember he made 140-something. And so I get to Gaddy's. I got the train to Sydney from Central. Get the Gaddy's and there's the band truck and Joe in the back unloading the gear, right? And I run up to him. With the, the newspaper going, uh, you know, cop that we flogged you, and he started, <laughs> "You're late," and, you, and he's, "You're late," you blah 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 blah. Oh. And, uh, and then when I said, "Everyone was sure he sacked me," right? <laughs> like, you're sacked you're over over cricket, over cricket, but you're uh. sacked. Don't come back. And I was, I was really young, right? It was, yeah. And I nearly started to, to cry, and everything I was freaked out. My brother Mars is drummer. Right. He can't. I don't worry about it. Forget it. So no, he went home. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, and I. Do I go to work tonight? You know, and my brother must. Don't worry about it. So I went in and it was all cool. But yeah, I tell him all the time. <laughs> I talk to him every day and I say, hey, don't forget, you sacked me over a bloody cricket game, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so we were, mad, we were mad cricketers going back to, to, to injury. Yeah. And so we'd play with our pads and stuff and like really throw the ball down hard. And we're so lucky. But not only that, just uh, recently, John Pedersen and I were talking, we were in Marsha Band. He was. He's uh, the guitarist, John Bettison. He was yeah. uh, into cricket like me. So we'd go uh, Perth, wherever we were, and find somewhere with a cricket bat and a ball, no pads, nothing. And the same, we'd be bowling really fast to each other with a I mean, obviously, we're not test bowlers, but without it, if it hit us on the finger, it would have broke it all. Yeah. Would've, we wouldn't have been able to do the gig that night. It was so stupid looking back. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask a question Were you ever conscious of your hands? But clearly not. <laughs> well, looking back, looking back now, yourself. <laughs> yeah, looking back now, I mean, no, I mustn't have been. Yeah, yeah. I'm, look, I'm sure I would have been in certain things, but 
Yeah. Not with the cricket. I used to just love playing so much. Yeah. We used yeah. to get so excited. John and I get up early, find a park somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, who are some modern day percussionists that you're aware of that you listen to and um, oh man, you know I, I loved Giovanni Aldalgo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as modern day percussionists that I listen to, I don't really go looking or I just like listening to different bands with percussion in it. Okay. You know, just to hear different different patterns, different songs happening. So, modern modern percussion compared to, you know, um, you know. Let's say 10, 15 years ago. What yeah. is there any major developments in percussion that you can hear? Um, you know, from you know, 15, 20 years ago to now. What's I mean, because as a drummer, I can I, I can see the progression in drumming. Um, but as a not being a percussionist myself, I I, I can't see that progression. Can you under, can you explain what you see as that? That progression? Yeah, look, it's a it's a hard one because it, when you're listening to the songs that are being played on the on the, on the radio or whatever the, the new songs and that, there are very little of them have that much percussion right. in them anyway. Right. And as far as um, see, I still listen to the old. Uh, I don't really broaden my mind, which is I know people might think that's wrong, but you know, I just dig what I dig. And yeah, yeah, of course. I don't. Uh, so I haven't really noticed anything. Uh, in the style of music that I like listening to as far as, oh, well, listen to that, or that's a different thing, or, okay. you know, like in the old, there'd be a lot of triangle playing. It's, that's that's not done as much. Or the bell tree used to be, but now that's sort of yep. not used as much. And, yep. But I think the, the, the most, uh, late, or the latest, new it's electronic, unfortunately. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. It's got its, it's, got its place, but, you know. Yeah. A lot of electronic percussion, I think, is the way it's the way. I mean, I've got a couple of pads and stuff that yeah. you, you just got to have. Yeah, right. Okay. So, um, when you when your gig started to kind of, you know, a few years ago, when you kind of the gig started to change, were you getting asked to yeah. to come out with a pad, you know, electronic pad like a Roland pad percussion? No, or? not not really. No, not not that much. Yep. Maybe a couple of times, but now look a lot of, towards the end. When I say the end, it's not never the, the end. Um, <laughs> this you, is um, the end. until you're until you're in the ground. But um, <laughs> it was it was just a lot of cover band stuff that. Yeah. And I'll be honest, you know, I got to the stage, and uh, this isn't any trying to show any disrespect, sure. but it got to the stage there at the at the end. A, a lot of gigs I was getting two days before the gigs would come up, I'd get depressed. And think, oh God, I don't want to do it. And it's like, how am I going to get a park? Where am I going to park? Yeah. Where am I going to get? It's all, it was just a, everything was a hassle. Yeah. And the money was dropping and it's yeah. like, oof. you know, it was just become a bit of a, bit of a struggle. I mean, and you know, if you could always sort of try to get into the theatre scene, but that, that's, that's good if you're into it, but eight shows a week doing the same thing. Um, right. You know, you've got to be really well disciplined. It's not an easy gig at all. You know, people think, oh, it's not. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to play exactly the same thing every single night, eight times a week, note for note, don't change. And that, so, you and know, that, it's, and not that an, would, it's not an easy gig. And not being, a, not being a reader, that would be a challenge in itself, wouldn't it? Oh, I used to, like, uh, I did, um, yeah, it used to blow a lot of people away. It's like, how do you remember everything? But right. What used to blow me away 
was because again I'd remember everything because I try to get the music really early. Yep. And listen to it over and over. I just do little notes and, and stuff. Yep. And then after the first couple of weeks of the show, I know it off by heart. Yeah. I don't even have to look at what the next song okay. is all right. because all, all my musical life I've been like that. Right. Yep. Now the thing is to blow me away. People, musicians uh, uh, would do shows that sometimes run for two years. Yeah. And they're playing the same song. Every night, every night, every night, nothing. And they still, if they, and this isn't everyone, but a few of them, if they don't have any charts, they couldn't do the gig. It's oh, like, shit. Wouldn't, you know it by, wouldn't you know it by then? Yeah, wow. I never heard of it. Even bands that I've been in uh, that played for years and years and years, same songs every night, they'd, they'd look at their charts still. And people, without mentioning too many, but people like Kerry, he on the gig, he'd, he'd look at the chart. Next day, he's just got it on the floor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and not just him. Nick Sinclair's another one. You know, they, a lot of them memorize it, and because you play, you know, you just you can sort of chill and play. Anyway, it just used to blow me away that, um, and I think it might be it might be a good thing too because I don't have to worry about memory remembering. It's just like there it is. You just sort of look at it and play it. Yeah, but um. Yeah, I, I get that, and that's probably cool, but wouldn't And look, don't get me wrong either. Yeah. Don't get me wrong either. Being a reader would have been still way better, would have got way more work. You know, I'm not saying, hey, it's cool to not be a reader. No, it's not at all. You know, I would have got way more work if I was a reader. So I'm not for one second to say. Yeah, I get, I get but that. But it did I, help. I get it, that totally. It, it, but... it did help. The non-reading thing did help a bit as far as like an idle uh, – John Foreman commented a couple of times. You know, I was the only one not looking at the at the chart while we're we're, we're playing. I'm sort of looking at the audience and smiling and stuff, yeah. which is you know because we were featured so much. You know what I mean? It, and, and Rex was the same. Chris Cranzolis was the same. They'd look up a lot, yeah, um, and not have their heads buried in the chart. So, but yeah, it's, it used to blow me away. It's like surely you know it by now. You'd be playing it in your sleep, wouldn't you? Surely. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get my my head around. Um... After that much time, okay, reading the chart, yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, for me, you know, it comes back to feel and it, and and wouldn't you after all that time kind of feel how it goes? And I, I don't know. It, it's a, it, that's Look, a, that's a weird I concept to me. I, I can't get my head around that. Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I'm not meaning to criticise them. No, no, it's not, we're not criticising. It's just if, a, I, if, I could, yeah. if I could read, I'd yeah. probably do exactly the same yeah, thing. Yeah, but you're doing both. But, but, but you it just can, is the – you can do both. Uh, it, yeah. Well, yeah. it just used to blow me away, like, you know, because I used to say to a couple of them, if I close that, would you ever play? No. Nah. Oh, goes the love. Oh, come on, man, surely. Nah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess maybe they didn't, um, like, like you know, you've said that you do, you, like you um will get those songs and you'll memorise them. Maybe – to them, because, I had, because I had to, though, see? Because you had to, I yeah, had that's to. right, yeah. But, yeah. I mean, if you know you can read, you don't have to give it a thought until you exactly. sit down. Exactly, that that's what you know, You can fill, your, fill that bandwidth up with something else, I suppose, eh? Yeah. It, it would be a great feeling, you know, just going in, knowing, well, you know, yeah. just put the chance there and play it. Do something else for those I, three days beforehand. I would, <laughs> man, I'd get stressed. I'd send me the songs and I'd, like, listen to them and listen to them right, and then, then at rehearsal, yeah. You know, the first few days of rehearsal in a the theatre show, I would be like 
packing it and really stressed out. Whereas everyone else is going, <laughs> oh, no, we're taking it for what bar? Yeah, right, oh, yeah, take it from G. Okay, yeah, here okay. we go. I got where, 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 where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get it now. It all makes sense. <laughs> Definitely yeah. no criticism of the readers for sure. No, 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 no. no. I'd, I'd probably do exactly the same thing, man. Yeah. Um, earlier today or yesterday, I – was it today or yesterday? Oh, anyway, earlier – um, I asked you to to come up with a song that's had the greatest impact on you. Um, now we're gonna you're gonna introduce that song. We're gonna play it. We're gonna listen to it, and we have a bit of a chat about it. Um, now, before you introduce it, what I want to say about the song, um, you all know of songs that if you hear like the first note or the first sound, for me. It's the first tom tom. If I if I was just to hear the first tom tom of the song, I know what the song is. And when you told me Absolutely. what the song was today, I just went, "Yes, I can't wait to play <laughs> this and listen to it." So, um, can you introduce the song and then I, and then I'll hit the play button and we'll have a bit of a listen. Yeah, the song is uh, "In the Stone" by Earth, Wind, and Fire. So there's that tom, followed by a couple of others. You can never, you straight away know what it is, don't you? Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, man, this is, this is cool. I, um, I think if anyone was to have an introduction to Earth, Wind & Fire, you'd just want to play them this one, and they'd go, wow. Oh, man, it's killer. Yeah. So do, yeah, you you, do you remember the first time you heard this song? Look, I, I, yeah, I do remember... Um, I was given the album on my 21st by two different people because they knew I loved Earth, Wind & Fire and put it on the, the record player that night and when that song came on, it was like, I just loved it. I mean, that and all the other songs, not just that one, but yeah, for some reason, that's one of my, that is my favourite Earth, Wind & Fire song in the Stones. just, it's happening. And see, on my whole life, I was brought up with the, the sort of the big band horn section, vocal sort of thing, you know, so they're just, to me, my, my favourite band. So what, uh, that album is off um, I Am, and was this the album that was produced by um, David Foster? I think it was, eh? I, I'm not sure, man. It could be, yeah, it, it uh, could very well be. I know Pauline Costa played percussion on it. Okay. It's great. It's beautiful, man. Sorry, I'm just re- trying to read some Wikipedia stuff on it. So, uh, yeah, David Foster. Yeah, right. So it came out in 1979. The album's I Am, but um, yeah, it's a crack. Yeah, there you go. It's a cracker, man. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great song. It just brings back so many memories, and uh, yeah, as I kept saying, favorite band of Earth, and Fire. Yeah, love it. Um, is there anything we've missed? Oh, oh no, I know what I want to ask you. Now I read. Um, in your old drum scene interview that you sent me the other day, um, that you played on an album with Gina Jeffries, and Bernard yes. Pur- Bernard Purdy played on that album. Right? Did you get to meet? Uh, did you get to meet Bernard no, Purdy? At no, all? no, I don't, okay. no, 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 yeah. no. It was uh, it was only two Aussie musos on that album, and the rest were all the cats in from um, Nashville. Okay. 
and it was my, it was myself and Chrissy Moy. Right. We're the only other two, only other musos on that the Aussies. But yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on album on the album with that guy. Yeah. Right. So how did that how it's did that come about? How did you get that call? Well, I used to uh, the keyboard player from Sherbet. Uh, what's his name? He became a producer. And I, I did a lot of sessions for him. He used to produce a lot of country, Western country singer cats. Yep. And she was one of them. Okay. And he got me in and, yeah, the rest, yeah, I did, the, did her album with Bernard on it. That's cool. Which was, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was his name? I can't remember his name, but he was a keyboard player from Sherbet, really one name guy. Um, he, he produced the Leo Sayer album as well mm. uh, that I played on and, and um, quite a few well-known Country Western singers. Yeah, cool. That's how I got to do that because he used to get me to do a lot of the, believe it or not, congress for Country Western uh, songs, which worked nice, mainly ballads and stuff. And uh, I think I'm on quite a few tracks of Jennings. Right. That's I don't think I've got the album. I've got to get that album. Fantastic. I'm sure it's there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you still you still play a bit at home these days? You practice? Oh, yeah, man. Every day I, I go oh. to my music room and play awesome. play all the old Tower of Power and Earth and Folk play along with it. It's great. It's great, man. And there's a guy here, uh, Big Nick, he used, to, he used to manage, believe it or not, he used to manage uh, around midnight at the cross when we used to work there. Right. And he lives, he lived literally, you know, like 1.8 Ks over the hill. Just unheard of. And he's a guitarist. And we uh, when when the shutdown, he got permission from the cops. So we went out and played. Uh, out the front of nursing homes and stuff. Oh, just wow. To, That's to, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was great, man. Um, so what was the question again? Do I do? Yeah, do you, do you still play? Do you still still jam? Well, yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, all the time. But as far as gigs, um, like everyone, mate, like my, my poor son, when, when it was happening, he went to London. He was there for seven days. He was, got, he was going on a eight, nine-month tour of oh. uh, London, Great Britain and Japan and some uh, uh, some other place, Korea, I think. Right. And he was there for a week, came back to Sydney, self-isolated for two, no gigs since. Oh, man. And, you know, it, he's not Robinson Caruso. Right. It's just no gigs, mate, no yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the coolest album you've played on, Your favorite, your favourite recording you've ever done? Well, there's a few favourites, but I think the coolest one was with uh, uh, the legend Don Raider. I was blown away just to be asked to, to play on it. It, it got actually um, quite good reviews in the um, New York Times music section. I got a cut, a cut of it somewhere. And, uh, yeah, oh, it, was, cool. it was a bust to play with him because he's, you know, played with <laughs> everyone in the States. He's he's amazing player and a lovely guy too. That was great. Right. How did that come about? And, and was, that, um, was that recorded here in Australia or did you go overseas? No, it was it was recorded here, yep. and it came about because uh, Don and I became really good friends cool. through Warwick Alder, another trumpet player. Mm-hmm. We, we used to sort of hang, and I gigged with him a lot, and he got me to do the album. I was blown away because again, he's an amazing uh, trumpeter, world famous, and that was yeah, that was a that was a blow, uh, a blast playing with him. What what strikes me is you know uh, um. Is the diversity of music that you played, you played as a percussionist? Like, you know, we talk about the 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 soul and the funk, and then you've played country, and then you've, you know, you've played trumpet, jazz, and you know all the stuff that comes with 
you know, all that music, that Australian Idol music, which was pop music at the time. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you're very, 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 very versatile. And, and, you know, I think that's probably why that's kept you working for so long. And, and from the people that I've talked to, you know, you're, you're you know, drummers, you, you're, you're a favourite percussionist of theirs. Um, oh, that's very nice of you to say, Stevie. Now, what have you got? coming up in the future not necessarily gigs or whatever but what's you know what's the next when we're going through this covid thing um it's not yeah. affect, affecting you too much where you are um yeah what's on the horizon what's sort of coming up well at the, at the moment um i'm just about to do uh, a session uh for our a really amazing musician andy atwell aussie bass player who lives in, in new zealand now it's, mm-hmm. it's not just a freak musician, um, and he's he's doing another um, album, original album, and Gordy's doing his part now as we speak. And once he does his, I'm going to Gordy's place and yep. he's recording the percussion. And it's not it's not an easy one. It's like a lot of weird times, not weird, a lot of different time signatures, and you know that's going to be a real uh, challenge to do that one. But I'm really looking forward to it. That would be a great play. You get those ta- uh, with try and get those, and Gordy. Try and get those tapes early. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, funny you say that because Gordy just said he's going to send me the finish. I said send it to me a couple of weeks before, man. So awesome, you know, man. I won't have to stop every four bars and drop me in, Gordy. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's really cool. Tony has a party. Yeah, so that, I've yep. got that coming up. Yeah. Yeah that's, yeah, that's about it, mate. As far as uh, projects. And what about what about the farm? You're kind of you, you're living off the land there. Um, Oh, I'm not. I mean, I'm getting eggs from my chickens, and yeah, I've got a few yeah. veggies and stuff. But no, I'm not actually living off the land. Yeah. It's just a 30 acre property. Yeah. Um, yep. It's actually registered animal uh, animal sanctuary, and I've got some oh, alpacas wow. and some cows and a horse and some chickens and ducks and stuff. But nothing's going to slaughter here. Yeah. They're all That's they're all my fur friends, mate. It's all it's all chill. It's all very chill. I get up early, feed the animals. Yeah, do some work around the property. It's just a real, and it's obviously not for everyone. Yep. It's, like, I'm, I'm from the city. I'm a city boy, mate, all my life. But and I, if you had a time me ten years ago, I would have laughed. And you no way. Well, let's. But I tell you, it's just. So how did how did that decision come about then? To like. Well, to, I got, when get... I got sick in 2011. Yep. Um, I just knew. Well, I because. I was literally given six months. It looks like I only had six months. That's what the doctor said, literally. And so after all the crap, you know, I was given a second leave and I was leaving the hospital and the nurse said, you're a very lucky boy. Don't waste the rest of your life. And I never forgot forgot that. So I wanted to do something. I just wanted to change. I was in a rut. And, you know, even though I was, was gigging, I didn't like doing the school gigs, the gigs I was doing, you know, the, the great fun gigs were few and far between. They were stuck in a rut. And I, I, I did the show... Uh, Thriller, the yep. thing from Great Britain that came out here. That yep. was great. That was a good show too. Yep. Um, and we're in Adelaide and I met this lady, a friend, and she had a horse. And I fell in love with this horse mm. and she eventually came to Sydney and I used to go and feed a horse. I, used to, I lived at Borkham Hills and the horse was uh, adjusted at um, um, just not far, about half an hour from me, but it was it was cat eye. Like it was real. Okay. So I'd go there. Yep. Yeah, so I'd feed the horses stuff, and it was rural, and I'd come back home feeling so chill, and I just started thinking, you know, man, that's what I want. I just long story. So it took me a few years to find 
the right place and I, I found it, man. It's, and I've got that horse here right now as we speak. That, oh, wow, um, that's great. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the owner, she comes up every month or so and hangs for a week and looks after it. Uh, she just couldn't afford the adjustment in Sydney just right now. So I said, bring her up here. And it's like, yeah, so th- the reason I'm up here is here. Spec, she's just over there in the paddock. Fantastic. Um, what I, you know, uh, what I really enjoy, it's like if, when I'm on social media and there's a whole lot of crap on there, you quite often post your pictures first thing in the morning with the sun, your animals. Yeah. I didn't enjoy the one with the frost the other morning. Does that look too f- – I do get – I must say, I do get a little bit political and stuff. No, 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 just, no. No, not the political I, stuff. No, I mean the photos. No, like, I know, I know. I'm not saying you're bu- I'm not saying you're bullshit social media, but when I'm reading – No, 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 I know. Scrolling I, through I and, yeah, there's this beautiful yeah, s- sun coming through in the morning and, you know, you land, you're out feeding your animals and, yeah. Yeah, well, I was doing. I've started doing that just recently, but I did yeah. used to do some crap things. Yeah, on purpose. But yeah, I've come to the conclusion: if you can make someone smile, why why not do that instead of getting into a Barney about some stupid thing? That's it, eh? That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And I was saying to someone absolutely. the other day, I'm, I'm not going to get into a Barney with someone on social media. I'll wait till I see no, you. No, it's just. I'll wait till exactly. I see you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, like I said, my mum and dad live up in Stroud. And it sounds like you're not oh, that, man. you're not that far away. No. So next time I'm oh, up there, mate, I, yep. I, mate, I'm telling you, you're about thirty k's from my thirty or forty k's from my house. Sweet. So next time, well, how far how far are you, are you from uh, Gloucester? Stroud is, um, I think it's about thirty, what's 40, 50 k's from Gloucester. I'll look that up, but it's not that far. Or is it more? <laughs> I don't oh, think it's that far. Yeah. But yeah, next time I'm up there for a few days, man, I'll give you a ring and I'll give you a hitch up. Oh man, come and hang. Come Absolutely. And hang. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, come and have a play. Oh yeah. Come and have a play, man. <laughs> you could come and have a laugh. Absolutely. At me. You can laugh at me. <laughs> no, you can laugh at me, man. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd be great. It'd be great. I'll bring my Steve, charts. You'd be excellent, mate. I'll bring my charts. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Bring the charts, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, for, look, you know, you don't have to bring it put this on. But yeah, no. I um yeah. I was talking to someone just recently and they said, oh, you know, there's this particular thing on and blah, 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 blah. Are you interested? And I said, no, look, I don't. I know you need to be a reader for that. I don't read. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, it's all cool. No, we know you don't read. You're cool. We're going to send you the music. Just play along with it. And doesn't matter. We just, and, you know, I've never auditioned for anything anyway. Right. And I said, look, yeah, send me the music. Let me have a, let me have a listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> so they sent me a bunch of charts. Oh. And I said, oh, I wrote back saying, oh, look, I'm really sorry, but, yeah, you know, I don't I don't read. And I've gone, oh, no, that's okay. Play the music. Just start from, start from bar 16 on letter, from letter E. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, man, it's like, oh, look, thanks, but, thanks, but yeah. no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't read, so they send me a bunch of charts. It's like, I thought they were that. I thought they were taking a piss or yeah. something. <laughs> I still don't know why they did it, but, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, classic. Tony, as a party, thanks so much for, for spending this evening with me and having a chat, man. I've been really looking forward to talking to you and um, um glad we've done this. And, yeah, like I said, looking forward to popping over and having a cup of tea or something, hitting your congas. Anytime, Steve. Yeah, sweet. Anytime. And, mate, I really appreciate you asking me to do it. It's been it's been great fun, mate. Oh, great no, fun. No brainer, man. No brainer. All right, man, look after yourself and um, take it easy and we'll yeah. talk soon. 
Right. Thanks a lot, buddy. Cheers, we'll see you, man.